Hey, it's Pete Corelli here. Starting an independent developer studio or even working in one is a lifelong commitment to a creative vision with absolutely no guarantee of success. In this series by Game on Oz, we'll chat with the heroes of the industry, the ones who put it all on the line for a stranger they'll never meet to have an experience they'll never see. The highs are a proud stance atop a mountain of pixels, whilst the lows will leave you battered, bloody, bruised, and in some cases, financially ruined. Bank or bust, launch or lost, this is Indie or Die. Charlotte is the head of ID at Xbox, and it is a genuine pleasure to have him on Australia's number one gaming podcast for our brand new series, which is here to explore the lives of indie developers from around the globe. And considering ID at Xbox to date, and the number may have changed, uh, has been a part of publishing over 3,000 indie games and giving such incredible support to the community. I thought this was a great way to actually kick things off for this series. Chris, thank you so much for your time, mate, and welcome to the Game on Australia podcast. Oh, thanks a lot. And I, I don't I don't want to correct you, but we, we're working with 3,000 developers, but only uh, about uh, 1,250 games have come through the program yet. We'll, we'll get to 3,000, but we're not quite there yet. Oh, only 1,250. Only 1,250. I mean, even even at that number, that is a staggering amount, mate. And, and it's, it is a testament to what you guys are doing at ID. It's sensational. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. And I mean, to me, you know, I, I, I really appreciate that. But to me, it's a testament to what the developers are doing, right? Because we don't, you know, obviously we help and we're excited to be part of the journey, but we don't make the games, you know. And so we wouldn't be at that number without the, the support of developers from all over the world. I think we have developers in more than uh, 60 countries who've um, shipped games on Xbox One. So uh, it feels awesome. So, Chris, we'll get to that in a moment because, obviously, this support is incredibly important to those particular people. And given that this is a conversation that we're having after I've had a few interviews already banked with some of the uh, developers that we're going to hear over the course of this series, um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of support that needs to come from large organisations to really help lift indie developers in general. But I, I want to start with you and I want to introduce the community to you because it's an extraordinary story and it's a great opportunity to work out how you got to where you are at ID at Xbox. And it's a story full of passion, um, including uh, some of the things that I've read that you were one of the original founders of IGN, which is a personal inspiration in terms of gaming media, uh, news outlet reviews to myself that I've been reading and checking out for years. But where did it all start for you, Chris Charla? <laughs> well, I, um, you know, it's funny because I, I, I love hearing about how different people got into the game industry uh, or get into the game industry because it's always really, really interesting. And for me, I was um, uh, finishing college and um, knew I loved video games, knew I loved magazines, never really thought that seriously about doing anything um, other than working in games. And, um, and I decided to... Uh, I went to school in Boston, which is on the east coast of the U.S., and after graduation, um, you know, I had no obligations, so I decided to just um, move out to California and try and get a job at a, a video game magazine, and I was also into the, the music scene back, the punk scene and everything, and I actually um, did, like, the classic thing where I just showed up in San Francisco or showed up in Oakland with, like, a, I think I had, like, 40 bucks, 
and I, you know, slept in an abandoned bus warehouse for a little while. And so I kind of got some stuff going on and eventually did get a job at uh, a magazine, a tech magazine, and that turned into an opportunity to um, get a job at a video game magazine, which was called Next Generation. It was like the, the U.S. version of Edge, if you know Edge magazine, uh, out of the U.K. It was a, We shared content back and forth with those guys, and um, it was amazing. I got to meet all my heroes, interview all my heroes, see tons and tons of games coming through. And I kind of joined the game industry, um, joined next gen, like literally like the month before the PS one shipped. So for me, like my whole, um, experience in video games, it's kind of just neatly broken into kind of like the 2d era, like the pre PS one era, although, you know, there were things like 3do and then, you know, but my kind of like time in games really just started, um, with the PlayStation one. And so if you want to date me, I sort of, date from the dawn of the PS1 in the game industry, you know, and onward. Some of the, the indie developers we've already spoken to, because we have banked a few interviews, and we talk about how, you know, times can be quite tough as a, as a developer. And by the sounds of things, um, for someone like you who really wanted a, a job in this industry, it sounded like you started out quite tough as well. I mean, 50 bucks in your pocket and, and squatting at things like an abandoned bus depot. Not so much tough, but at times, was it a little bit scary for you taking that leap? I wish I could say it was, and I was somehow brave, but the thing is, when you're in your early 20s, you know, you're just, it's all an adventure, you know what I mean? It's all new, it's all exciting, and so, you know, I, I don't know what would have happened if um, I hadn't been very lucky and had things work out the way they did, but, but I, I was lucky, and, and things did, did work out pretty well for me, so, but, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a classic um I think, you know, moving to a big city is is always tricky and you end up with a bunch of roommates and it's, it's fun. So, yeah, it was it was uh, it was good times. One of the other things that I've uh, I've learned along the way while doing some reading on you is that um, I'm also happen to be talking to one of the original founders of IGN. You must be able to look back on that, having been one of the founding members and, and just be really proud of where it's come. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, it's it, it it was something that you know Jonathan Simpson, Bint, who was my boss at the time, had this idea like, what if we did a fan website, but we actually paid people to work on it? Which at the time, you know, it's so goofy now, but at the time was like a really revolutionary idea. And so we had a crew of about uh, five people. We had a webmaster um, and three people doing sites for um, N64. PlayStation and Saturn, and then I was the like the launch editor for it, and um, and and it it started, and it was amazing because you know back then it, doing web journalism was so new that you know just trying to convince um, PR people to put us on the the list to get press releases was like a, a challenge, and you know the idea of getting you know uh, review builds and that kind of thing was like it was all new, and so we were all learning at the same time, like us as journalists the. Uh, the video game companies, the publishers, the PR people—it was a—it uh, was really exciting times, and um, I, I wish I could take you know credit for for what IGN became, but of course I can't. I I wasn't on it for for too long after the launch, um, but um, it, we obviously we knew that that what we were doing with IGN and just the idea of web journalism in general um, was um, was the future, and it was super, super exciting times to work on it. So what came next for you and, and why did you move on from IGN? Was it a was it a, a like a better opportunity came along or um, something a little closer to home with what you really wanted to work on, you know, from a personal point of view? How, how did you find moving on from that? 
Um, it was uh, it was really just an opportunity to to become the editor in chief of Next Gen, and um, I had previously been like an associate editor and features editor, which was really fun. But it was the opportunity to like steer the ship. So you you know sometimes you just um, have to take those opportunities, and uh, so I had a great time doing that. And then um, went and launched a couple new magazines um, and launched a Dreamcast magazine. But meanwhile, I had made a lot of friends in the development community, and, and you know some of my best friends were. Um, you know, folks who had been on the magazine with me and then gone into development. And, um, you know, at a certain point, the kind of siren song of game development really called. And um, and so I left around, um, I want to say like 2000 or something, so it's been a while, and um, and or maybe 2001, and um, went and joined a, a really small independent developer. And it was, um, it was an, a really amazing experience because it was the kind of place where, you know, you showed up and, and day one, the first thing they did was, uh, you know, gave you like a crimping tool and uh, a scissor, and then they pointed at a giant uh, cable, you know, roll of Cat5, and they're like, okay, your office is in this building, but the server is in that building, but you can go through this window, so you're going to need to string Cat5 on the roof, you know, like across a block to, if you want internet access. And it was, so it was a really um, DIY-focused studio and a really um, scrappy studio, and, and I think that was great, because I I really learned a ton there, and you know, I think I shipped my first game in like start to finish. I think it was about nine weeks. Um, it was for it was for Game Boy, so it was a, a fairly small game. But I really learned a lot um, about production super quickly because I shipped like so many games and uh, and got to do. Um, you know, we were a scrappy dev, so I got to do uh, a lot of different things on the games, whether it was level design or writing the pitches for new projects or helping develop IP or, you know, stringing cat five. Like, um, you know, it was a classic independent developer of the, of the old school where we, we did a lot more, um, work for hire than we did original IP, but we did do some original IPs too and got to launch IPs on, you know, the launch of new platforms and things like that. And so it was, uh, it was just a fantastic education and, and, and time. And towards the end of it, we started to do a ton of Xbox Live Arcade games, and that's where I really just fell in love with um, digital distribution and seeing what the power of digital distribution brought creators. One of the, um, not like I've ever told this story before, but one of the contractors we worked with a lot at the company was uh, Jonathan Blow, who was working in Braid, working on Braid in his spare time. And you, know, you talk about a pioneer. Jonathan was building Braid when there was, um, he didn't know where he was going to ship it. You know, and and it, it happened that, that his work on Braid just coincided with the launch of Xbox Live Arcade on Xbox 360 in a in a beautiful way, and you know the whole world got to experience this game, and it also showed everybody in the development community that there was this fantastic way forward for development where you could actually, um, you know, independently develop, you know, publish digitally, so you didn't have to worry about the huge overheads of capital and infrastructure that were required for putting games on discs or cartridges and, um, you know, just kind of opened up a whole new world for development. And the, the result of that has, was and has been and continues to be just this incredible flowering of creative talent and um, incredible flowering of amazing, amazing games. And so against the backdrop of all that kind of stuff happening um, in 2010, late 2010, I got the opportunity to, um, to join Microsoft to work on Xbox Live Arcade, and um, uh, took the opportunity, moved up to Seattle, and I've uh, been at Microsoft ever since. 
And you haven't looked back? No. I mean, I actually, I miss making games. I actually made a game um, the other day just in, on a weekend, a little tiny game, just um, <laughs> Game Maker, but uh, it was fun. But, but no, I haven't really looked back. I love um, what I get to do helping um, helping people make games and getting to just meet so many amazing creative people. Super fun. Um, I am really uh, like excited that that we've stumbled upon this this point of digital distribution with you and and how that appears to be you know a, like a genuine um, moment where you know you kind of the penny kind of dropped and you went okay like this is this is a way for these people to clear a whole heap of overheads that have more often than not stopped them from being able to take that next stop step and now be able to put these games online and have people sort of download them. Um, are we headed for a future that is 100% digitally distributed? You know, I, I actually don't think so. I think that it's great that um, digital distribution is there, but I think that it's one piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, we'll see digital distribution continue to grow, but I think that um, I, I don't see um, retail games going away anytime soon. I know for me personally, I, I like going to the store and, and getting to talk to the, you know, the, the clerks there and, and see what's hot and, and, you know, and pick up a game. Um, so I don't see it going away, but I definitely see that digital obviously has become a, a much more important uh, part of the mix. You know, you mentioned we sort of go back to 2010 and um, talking about Xbox Live Arcade, and it wasn't until a couple of years later that um, uh, you yourself and your team, before the announcement of the idea at Xbox program, did a listening tour with more than 50 developers, and, and that genuinely helped shape this program. What were some of the things that uh, your team came across in terms of, I, I guess, how tough it was to be an indie developer at the time that these studios were talking to you about? Yeah, it was really interesting because when, when, when you know, I think we did, I'll say we, but it was really Microsoft because I wasn't there yet. Microsoft did something really pioneering with Xbox Live Arcade. And I think that, in a sense, we didn't understand just how powerful it was at the time. And the independent community, you know, that started with folks like John Blow and Chris Hecker, um, there was such a flowering and such an amazing amount of growth in, in that community that they outpaced um, what we were able to do in terms of, like, um, actually publishing on Xbox 360. So Xbox 360 had a, a requirement that you needed to work with an established publisher and, and things like that. And so we went on that listening tour. The real pain points that we heard from developers was that um, – you know, the, the, they just wanted to have the freedom to do what they needed to do um, on console. And, you know, that was, you know, every, you know, the, people said a lot of different things, and we had a lot of lots and lots of different conversations. But, you know, it all came down to, you know, be open, like be easy. And, and you know, and so that's what we did. You know, we, we really tried to structure the program to be as easy as possible to ship your games. We knew that if we could make it easy to ship a game on Xbox One, um, that we would get the games. We know that our fans are like huge fans of a uh, wide variety of games, super diverse games. We know they buy a lot of games. And so we knew we were going to have this great marketplace for players, but we needed to make sure that we were giving them great games. And so that was our watchstone or our North Star from day one was just like, make it easy. And, um, you know, it's gotten easy. It's been, you know, five years now uh, since we launched the program, almost six. And it's gotten easier and easier and easier every year. Um, and, and hopefully we'll get it to the point where, you know, for a developer, it's, it's almost boring. Like there's nothing, you know, it's just it's trivial. Uh, I don't know if we're quite there yet, but, you know, hopefully we're at the point where it's at least straightforward. 
and um, and and the results have you know been fantastic. We've seen games that we never could have imagined um, when we started the program, and um, yeah, and so it, it did all start with that listening tour, and and um, it was. Um, it was a cool tour, and you know we would bounce ideas off devs, and they were never ever shy about giving us their um, you know really honest feedback, which is exactly what you want. And we still look for that feedback from developers every day uh, today. Like we always, it's great when somebody says we're doing a good job or they enjoy working with us. It feels awesome. But what we you know what what helps us be better is when people tell us you know. But actually, there was this one pain point and learn about that and see how we can fix it. Sometimes that freedom comes with a price. Do you find that for for indie developers, there is still, regardless of the, the support that's being provided and the amazing work that ID at Xbox is doing, there, there is still a real delicate balance in terms of, um, you know, just how hard and, and how far they try and push an indie game to get it to market? Absolutely. There's so many, you know, we're in such an interesting point right now because there's so many opportunities for independent developers, whether it's on Xbox, on PC, on other platforms, and there's so many um, options right now that you can take creatively, whether it's creating a game in an established style, whether it's doing something really experimental, doing a mix of the two. Um, but it's never uh, been easy to make games, and it's definitely not any easier today than it's ever been. In fact, I would argue that in, in some ways it's harder. Knowing you know, um, how big you should make your game, um, how long you should work on your game, when should you announce your game, you know, when should you ship your game, you know, all, all these things are really, really complex. And in the olden days, you know, large publishers would have teams focused on kind of looking at these types of issues um, and today, if you're a single creator who maybe ships a game every two years or every four years, um, like uh, knowing when to ship and, and how the market's changed is, is really tricky. And actually, it's one of the things that we've um, uh, done more and more as the program has gone on is tried to work and use the aggregate data that we see from sales and everything else to tell people, um, you know, this, this is the right time of the year to ship or this is a bad time to ship or this is a good day of the week to ship or a bad day of the week to ship and even you know these are you know those sales results we see from this type of genre this is kind of what you can expect and we we don't provide this information to devs in in any kind of um prescriptive way like one of the things that i always say to developers uh if i give a talk is that you know there's you know uh, where microsoft's um interest in the developer's interests align really closely is, is sales, right? And so we can tell you a lot about uh, how to maximize your sales on Xbox and give yourself the best chance of, um, you know, getting discovered and, and getting good results on Xbox. But, but commercial success is only one piece of the puzzle. And for some developers, it's not the most important one. There might be, um, you know, creative success artistic success, just the personal success of finishing a game and shipping it. And, and so while we do provide a lot of information to devs about how they can, um, you know, hopefully maximize their revenue and, and everything like that, we, it, in the, like the, the, the nicest possible way, we, we don't care if you just ignore everything we say and do something completely different and just do exactly what you want because that's what you want to do. Because at the end of the day, what we want is a lot of diverse content. I think when we do talk to devs, I think it's good if you start development um, to know uh, 
what you're in for and to know like what what you can expect from a genre or a game or that kind of thing. But um, but we would never tell somebody, oh, you shouldn't make that game. It's just that's not that's not our place. I guess you know, and this is coming from a point of being a creative myself uh, and working in commercial FM radio as a day job. You know, it's uh, creativity and creation is something that's so incredibly subjective and. And that's what makes it um, complex, but at the same time makes it so exciting, you know. So we have uh, we have these things called air checks, right, where we sit in a room after we finish a show um, or maybe the following day and we listen to a couple of breaks and, you know, our, our content director will say, you know, we, we probably could have done this and we could have done that. And there are, there are certain things where, you know, you absolutely know that come hell or high water, that, that is a basic necessity, right? Like, so... You come off the back of a song, you back announce a song, right? You you time call here, you make sure you brand at this point. But but one thing that is always up in the air is um, the execution of great creative content because, you know, this person might approach it this way, but this person might approach it this way. And, and there is no necessary right or wrong answer between the two, but if you let them both go, you might stumble upon something genuinely incredible that nobody's ever thought of before absolutely that's like what's so what's so great about it doing something established is is fine and it's fun and the amazing stuff always comes out of left field and you just you just don't expect it and you're just kind of blown away when it arrives so that that's what's so fun about the job is just getting to um um you know work with our team and meet a tons tons of developers and uh and then just um you know go from there you mentioned before that um, sales can be affected even by something as uh, delicate as the day of the week. Is that how deep it goes? Like some people are more likely, the community is more likely to buy on a on a Thursday, for example, than they are on a Tuesday. Yeah, so on Xbox, you know, and, and this isn't necessarily the same on all platforms, but um, we know players are really active on the weekend. And um, we know players really like to see what's what's new. So new releases in the store is a really trafficked place um, on on a Friday night. So um, you know Friday is a great day to release a game because you're in new releases over the weekend. Um, uh, and so we tell developers that you know, and then we also tell them, hey, we just told this whole room of developers that Friday is the best day to release a game. So maybe Wednesday is a good day to release a game because that way, you know, everybody else is on Friday, you're on Wednesday, you kind of have a little bit of clear space. Um, and, and, you know, and what we, you know, it's, it's sort of funny, but, you know, we just share all the data that we have and then we let developers who are, you know, ultimately the publishers of their games um, make the decision. You mentioned um, going back, you know, when you, you first made your move, you had $50 in your pocket and you really enjoyed music and you're in this abandoned warehouse and, and that sort of stuff. It, it sounds to me like your life and what you naturally gravitate to towards to is, is almost a little bit punk rock in itself. And inside that, you know, that's very much, in my opinion, the, the indie developer industry. Is that how you feel that you've found your niche sort of there? Well, I would say, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think like I'm a giant poser, so trust me. <laughs> um, but um, but I, I will say um, that I um, when I was in that community and really you know like you know part of the East Bay punk scene, I learned a lot. You know, like the punk clubs were all uh, you know DIY clubs where everybody did everything themselves, and um, I learned a lot about just um, for me personally, just like. Um, you know, what it takes to get something done, which is it, it, it has to be done in a team, but you've also got to be willing to just do stuff yourself. 
and then um, you know I learned a lot of my my ethics about just how to how to treat people and how to behave and you know think for yourself and everything from from that era. So I would say that I um, it took a lot from it, and I you know I, and it it really um, kind of made me who I am today. Um, uh, and I and I do see a lot of I I will say I see parallels in terms of that kind of. Uh, DIY do-it-yourself ethic in um, in the independent games community, um, and I also see, and this is kind of the coolest thing uh, that I've seen recently, is 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 as of course that that community support, um, which was you know similar to to, to the old punk community, where um, you know people support each other, creators support each other, you know they're willing to help out, you know uh, whether you know whether it's oh I know. I need some art, you can do some art, or even like, I need some net code, like here, look at my net code. Um, uh, and I think that's awesome. And the other thing that's really been awesome to see is just the development, honestly, of different video game um, scenes. And I think we're almost at a point now where, you know, a game that's done in Seattle, you know, they're all individual games, they can start to have a different flavor than a game that's done in LA. And there's almost like an LA style game and a, Seattle game and you know and I um uh you know a Melbourne game and 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 seeing those kind of communities arise and seeing like some some you know diversity and regionalism in a, in a really positive way uh it's been like a fascinating thing to see and um it's uh it's 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 just been a really cool way to watch the the international game development scene evolve because of course it's international uh and we see lots of devs on virtual teams where there's folks all over the world but we also do see these local um uh local scenes where the devs all know each other and, and they're very welcoming to new new people coming in and uh and to see what what kind of amazing things they create one of my genuine hopes for people listening to this podcast is that a, a lot of them are developers or or would be developers who are hoping to, you know, create that next big idea and that and have that opportunity, you know. And if they were to look out there in the international development community, like where where should they be looking in terms of getting that idea off the ground or some inspiration for what it is that they're building? Who out there is doing it best at the moment? Oh man, it is. There's so many good things. Like I would say, you know, to the extent you can get to, get to a, a, a local dev meetup and then try and get to one of the um, the larger shows like PAX Australia or you know PAX in the U.S. or EGX Res in uh, in the U.K. and there's there's shows all over the world um, and just get a chance to to get the state of the art in your hands and, and play some of the latest titles. Start to meet people. Um, you know, when I when I started um, in the game industry, I really I didn't know anybody. You know, my first GDC, um, which was in like a thousand years ago, um, I was working at a Macintosh magazine before I got the job at NextGen. I knew no one, and then you know I was just outside and uh, saw somebody and was just like, "Hey, how you doing?" And uh, it, it turns out it was um, Danny Bunton who made um, uh, um, who made Mule, and it's like, oh my God, this is like she's like one of the most amazing creators of of all time. And you know, she was outside having a smoke, and I <laughs> struck up a conversation, and now you know she's super welcoming, and and you know now I feel like I know somebody in the game industry, and and that like the it's hard. Like I was a shy kid, and it, it is hard to go someplace where you can see a community that you're not part of yet but if, if people can get over that that hump uh whether it's in person at a show or even virtually on all the different you know communities that are out there for developers i think they'll, they'll find that the the game development community is incredibly welcoming 
And um, I've always said that the greatest thing about the Game Developers Conference is that really anybody can just walk up to anybody and ask a question and, and, and really get a thoughtful response. And I've seen it, I've seen it go down where, uh, you know, you'll see some, um, you know, famous person uh, like a Will Wright or, you know, that, that level of um, fame, Bonnie Ross. And, and you'll see somebody go up and you, you can tell they're scared to talk to them and they'll, you know, go up and say hi. And like every time I've never seen the, the, the sort of video game celebrity do anything, but like, you know, stop what they're doing and take the time to talk to the person and really listen to them and, and really see how they can help or what advice they can give. And that to me is like, it just makes me happy to be in games, just knowing that, you know, you know, of course, you know, there's a finite amount of time that people can spend playing games and, 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 and some games compete with other games, but the community of developers is not a competitive place. It is not uh, a um, an excluding place. It's a really um, it's a place where everyone's allowed to come together, regardless of what you look like, regardless of you know anything, and and you can really find um, acceptance. And I, I think to me, like I've seen that happen again and again. And there's, there's different communities and games and different places where you you know find the people who you you want to hang out with and who want to hang out with you. Um, but to me, it's just so great to to see that happen. One final thing, you know, before we, we look to wrapping this up, and, and Chris, once again, it's been an absolute pleasure um, having you on the podcast, and we really appre- appreciate your thoughts on this. It's a, it's a, a spectacular way to launch this series, but um, one of the things that I think is a, a bit of a messy area that we tend to be wading through, and, and is one thing that we talk quite a bit on our, on our weekly um, podcast offering, is it must be tough as a developer at the moment in this day and age, this online day and age that's, that's full of social media and trolls and, you know, something where um, at the drop of a hat, a community can absolutely turn on a dime and just go you. Do you have any advice for would-be developers in terms of the community at large and the ways to sort of avoid getting into that side of the community? Yeah. When, when uh, you know, th- th- I just call it cyberbullying because that's what it is. Um, you know, when when that happens, to me, it's it's disgusting, right? And and it can happen in a number of different ways. A community, a game playing community, uh, you know, can have some toxicity in it, or or people uh, who are you know not nice people will attack someone for you know some facet of their personality or their their identity, uh, which is horrifying. And 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 then you can sometimes see these brigadings and piling on. That stuff is really negative. It's 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 not limited to games by any means, um, but it's something that folks in the game industry have to deal with. Um, I think that there's a ton of work to do there um, to, it, 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 that we have to do in the game industry, that we have to do in society um, about how to make sure that we're treating every person with respect and that people can you know, agree or disagree without, without, without getting nasty. And it's, it's a bigger issue than games, but I think that for, for game developers in particular, um, it can be um, extremely draining, extremely exhausting, and, and, and sometimes can be, you know, extremely hurtful. And, um, you know, what I would, the advice I would give to people is, you know, don't, to the extent you can, don't engage with trolls um, and, and look for um, the people in your community who, um, uh, your community of game developers who are there to back you up and who are there to say positive things to you and and understand that you know any bad person on the internet can say something ugly and vile uh, and it, it doesn't mean anything 
and just and just try not to take that to heart. Try and focus on the people who take the time to say, hey, I've played your game and I really enjoyed it, or I love that piece of concept art, or it was really brave that you made that statement. Um, you know, and, and focus on that because the people who are saying positive things that tends to be you know what's truly heartfelt. Um, the people who are saying negative things, I think you're either piling on a bandwagon or just not nice people. And so, you know, again, it's a super complicated issue. I, I wish I had a better answer. But, you know, for me, my advice to developers would be to, to, to seek help from other developers and to, to not try and let the, um, the jerks um, affect them. Really quickly, um, these are the rapid questions. Just a couple here, mate, that we've been asking everybody who's on this series. Uh, the most exciting or best thing about being an indie developer from what you've seen from ID at Xbox? Creative freedom. Just the freedom to make the game you want to make. Um, the toughest thing about being an indie developer? Creative freedom. <laughs> freedom to do anything you want, including make mistakes. Chris Charla is the head of ID at Xbox. What an absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks again for joining us on the Game on Australia podcast. And there's such a bright future in regards to what you guys are doing there over at ID at Xbox, and you're really lifting the independent industry. And as someone who is a genuine fan of the games and has had a, a lot of conversations with uh, independent developers um, over the course of the past six months putting this series together, um, there's a lot of love for what you guys are doing, and it's an incredible job. So well done to you and well done to the guys there, and thanks again for your time on the Game on Australia podcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That was fun. Hopefully I didn't, I feel bad. I know I'm long winded, so I apologize. I, I talked too much.